we moved here in 2014, April Fool's Day, for those of you who haven't heard me tell the story. That's not made up. That's actually true. Um, but we moved here to plant this church. And in the first year here, uh, some of you know I was an airline pilot. So I flew for the airlines. And every week, my, my life looked like this. At 2 a.m. on Monday, I would get up. I would get in the car. I would drive to Pittsburgh to show up at f- by 5.15 for my trip. And, uh, and so then I would fly until Wednesday night or like 1 a.m. Thursday morning I'd get home. Um, and usually try to sleep in until I woke up. And, uh, and then Thursday was like the, let me catch up with all the stuff that has happened over the past three or four days. So Thursday was like, let me get this together. Let me get it figured out. And then I had the rest of the day Thursday. Those of you who were here in the early days, as Justin talks about, you were part of the Thursday night group. We would have a small group in my house on Thursday nights. Um, and then I had Friday to try to meet new people. Saturday to try to meet new people, and then we had a Saturday night group, and then Sunday, I would have to get ready to leave again. So we would have lunch or whatever, and I'd pack, and I'd try to go to bed at six in the evening, which if you've ever tried to go to bed at six o'clock, you understand that's not easy. Um, So that was my life, and so Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday were like the days that I had to be a father, to be a husband, to be a church planter, to be uh, a gardener or a lawnmower, to be uh, a friend, to be any of these things. And, and so this was my life. And for a little while, I was like, I don't feel like this is sustainable. And then we, we realized that we really weren't making enough money to live here. We moved here with a, a decent amount of savings because we had planned for this. And by September of the first year, we were out of savings. And my job did not pay our bills every month. I know that's sad. Eight years at the airlines doesn't pay to live. Um, And then my car started to not work so well. So every Monday, I have to drive this drive to Pittsburgh and every Wednesday night, Thursday back. And it started to be, and and, uh, I wish Gerald was sitting here. He'd be able to, he helped me with some of this. Thursday would happen, and I would go, all right, we got to tear apart the top end of the motor, or we got to tear apart this, because this, my car's not going to make it by Monday. And for weeks, we just, every week, deep into car work, every week, and I was just blowing a whole bunch of time. And, but I was like, what would I do? Like, I couldn't afford to give it to somebody to fix it. I could, certainly couldn't afford to buy another one. And I was in this place where some Mondays I'm borrowing a car, to drive to go make not enough money to live here. And you start to wonder, like, has God actually called me to this? Or have I just royally messed up my life? And we got to a place where I, I couldn't keep fixing the car. Like, I wasn't having time to meet people. And I was like, this is just never going to work. And then one day, somebody showed up to my house with a 2004 Toyota Corolla. I said, do you like this car? like, yeah, but I can't, I can't afford it. He said, I don't care if you can't afford it. I'm asking, do you like the car? I was like, yeah, but I can't afford it. He said, if you want this car, it's yours. And in the fall of 2014, I got given a car to do what God has called me to do, which is plant this church. 
Have you ever been on the receiving end of great compassion? Have you ever experienced great compassion? Have you ever been in a place where you, you saw someone deeply in need and you were moved? I mean, it still moves me five, and, five years later. That has rust holes in it now, but... Have you ever been in that spot where you've been moved by great compassion? Compassion is a, a powerful, transformative thing. And we've been in this series that we've called Family Values, and it's a, it's a covering of the values of this church, such that we would understand, okay, here's how we do ministry. If you think about vision, if you think about mission, it's like, this is where we're going. We're equipping people for kingdom release. This is the mission we're on. What will it look like when we get there? That's a vision, right? It will look like this. It would be that, that we transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel, that over and over and over things are transformed. But values are these things that are like, these are the uncompromisable things about how we're going to do this. That if we're going to accomplish this mission, these are the things that we're never going to bend on. These are the things that help us evaluate whether or not we're doing this correctly. Right? Like sometimes we think the ends justify the means. Well, that's only true if we hold to our values. Right? And so the values are, are the things. And so we've been covering these, these five core values of, of worship, community, authenticity was last week. Today I'm going to talk about compassion as our fourth core value. And the fifth one is discipleship. We'll talk about next week. But I want to talk about that today. And compassion, I don't know if you think about compassion. Compassion is like this sort of like intangible value, right? Like if you think about worship, we just did it. Or you can go, here, worship. We do that at the beginning. We, you know, we gather for a worship gathering. Like this whole time is devoted to God. We, we gather for worship. Or, or community. We have small groups for community. And we have other community events. We do family meal and those things, right? Like these are clear expressions of community, right? Like you're here in a community, right? These are expressions. Discipleship is another clear thing, right? Like we do things to disciple people. And you can go, well, that's a discipleship thing. We run that class. We teach this thing. This is discipleship. But we have these two values, authenticity and compassion, that you would go, where do we do that? Like, where's the, where's the authenticity time? Where's the compassion time? Like, where in our service, where in our outline is compassion? And there are these sort of like less tangible values but when we look at, at compassion, what we're talking about is a qualifier, right? You see that compassion is a qualifier for how we do what we do, that we as a church engage in compassionate ministry. It describes how we do ministry. It's a value that we see. We, don't, we didn't just make this up. It's not like we were just like, well, compassion is a nice word. It'll go forth. I've had arguments with the rest of our staff team about whether or not these go in sequence. In my mind, they go in sequence. In Jerry's mind, they don't go in sequence. They're just a... But anyway, it's the fourth one. And I'm right because she's not here. <laughs> yeah, well, edit, we'll edit that out of the recording. On the podcast, there'll be a big gap. But we, we, we do compassionate ministry because we see it in the ministry of Jesus. I want to just show you a couple of spaces, or maybe three or four passages. Matthew 14, 14, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Or in Matthew 15, 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. If you go over and over and over through, uh, you see Jesus moved with compassion. And, and the sequence always works this way. Jesus has compassion, stuff happens. That's how it always works. Jesus has compassion, stuff uh, works, stuff happens. And, and the Greek word for compassion, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. I watched a bunch of people pronounce it. I don't know, maybe I'll try. Splanknitsomai. Nailed it. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, but it's, it's, it's a word in, in Greek that means to be moved inside one's bowels. It's a very guttural, like, I mean, come on now. <laughs> Hold on, let me come over here. <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> it's a very, like, inward stirring. Compassion comes from this guttural, like inward stirring. I feel compassion. I feel stirred. Compassion is not empathy, empathy though. There's a difference between compassion and empathy, right? Like empathy is like, I feel free. I know what that feels like, right? Doesn't mean anything. I just know how you feel. This is empathy. Compassion is not just a feel for someone. Compassion means to be stirred into action. That if you have compassion, what comes out of compassion is what you see over and over and over in Jesus' ministry. Compassion happens, stuff happens. Right? We're moved by compassion to make something change. Compassion is also not condescension. Condescension does stuff, but it does stuff by acknowledging that I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm more powerful than you. Right? Have you ever been condescended to? Some of you are like, I don't know if I have. You probably have. But condescension is sort of this patronizing superiority to look down at someone. Compassion, in contrast, requires sameness. And understanding that we are the same at root. And that I feel motivated and moved to change something in your circumstance because I'm like you. And this could be me. What is compassion? One of the things that may seem obvious is that compassion is always a response to suffering. Compassion is a response to suffering. I think if you, I've, I've, there are traditions in Christianity that reject the idea of suffering. We just sort of put blinders on and we pretend like it's not real. And we say, well, what do you do with the, the suffering in the world? Well, it's just some, they're not blessed by God, they're not whatever. And we, we, we take this sort of all the time victorious perspective. And yet all of us know, if we really get down to the, to the root of it, that suffering is a part of life. You can't read through the Psalms very long before you find that David experienced suffering. Suffering is normal for life. And so compassion is a, is a response to suffering. So are condescension and empathy. The difference is that compassion propels you into suffering. How's that? Like, 
come to know Jesus. Hey, glad you're here. We got you baptized now. Let's go into some suffering. <laughs> compassion propels you into suffering. Literally, compassion means to suffer with another, to suffer together. Our value of compassion means that we move into suffering for the sake of kingdom release. That's what we do. That's, what, that's the whole point of this value is that we, as a people who follow Jesus, we move into suffering to release the kingdom there. This value is not like sort of an accidental haphazard, this sounds nice, let's be compassionate people. The intent is that we move into suffering. If I'm honest... Can I just be honest in church? I think we're bad at this. I'm not saying, speaking necessarily for you. You can judge yourself and you can hold yourself before the Lord. I think we're bad at this. Just from my perspective. Just looking at myself. Maybe I'll, let me say it like this. I'm bad at this. I think I avoid suffering at every turn. And if it looks like this is going to get messy, I say, let me, let me refer to you to somebody else. Let's just hope another Christian comes along who's actually a follower of Jesus is really kind of what I should say. I mean, be honest with yourself. I personally think I'm bad at this. And I would bet that a lot of us, if we were completely honest, we would say, you know, when it comes to entering into suffering for the sake of releasing the kingdom, if we're really honest... I'm not, I don't want to speak for any of you, but if we're really honest, I would bet there's a lot of us that are like, you know, I am bad at this. I want the win-win-win no matter what, right? The thought of entering into suffering just seems so opposed. It's a core value here because like the God we serve, we want to press into incarnational ministry. We want to be people who are get near to brokenness for the sake of the kingdom. We want to get proximate to steal a phrase from the Vineyard Justice Network. And like Jesus, compassion is what drives our desire to pray for the sick. You know, that's what we do, right? Have you ever been in a spot, I, I, you want me to tell you about a failure? Can I tell you about how I fail this, at this? Seems like people always want to hear about me failing at this more than they want to hear about me succeeding. As last night I'm sitting there, some of you remember Noah and Shannon, and um, I was sitting there at, uh, at Chipotle with Noah and Shannon, and we we're just talking, and the lady behind the counter, she had a broken hand. And, uh, and so I, I, I got to the front and I was like, oh man, what happened? She's like, well, it's, my hand is broken. I was like, wow, must be hard to do your job that way. She's like, yeah, you want to see me sling ice one-handed? And I didn't know if I was, that was a setup. I was like, kind of I do. So she goes over and she slings ice over the thing with one hand and comes in it. It's like, wow. So I went and I sat down and like for like, I sat there for two hours. We talked for like two hours and I'm watching this girl just like in pain and nobody's cutting her a break. And I'm like, man, that sucks to be her at the moment. What if Jesus would heal her hand? Now remind you, this is a failure story. For two hours, I sat there and was like, I just, I feel this like desire to change the situation. At one point, she threw 
You go to Chipotle, you get the salad, you get the dressing. She threw a cup of dressing into a bag. I mean, just, it was, it was just kind of overtaking. And two hours later, I got up and I left. Empathy, not compassion. It's a failure story. There you go, for what that's worth. But this is what we, this is the whole idea about praying for people, right? Is that we would see people in their need and we would be moved with compassion to lay hands on people and see people set free. I have prayed for so many people who I'm like, man, I I feel your pain and I want it to be different. And I've seen people not healed lots of times. I have seen people captured by the demonic and spent literally hours trying to cast demons out of somebody. To no avail. Still struggling with the same stuff. I've watched this, but it's this movement of compassion to, to want to change the circumstances for these people. It's what drives our whole praying for people. It's why, we, it's why we're bringing Wade out here. Wade's awesome. He's got awesome hair. Nobody in this room has hair like Wade. Anyway, that's a side story. But this is what drives our wanting to pray for people, Right? But here's the thing. I believe any time you engage the suffering of someone else for the sake of the kingdom, you're practicing compassionate ministry. But if you look through Scripture, one of the things that becomes really clear is that compassion is always tied to mercy and justice. Over and over and over through Scripture, mercy or uh, compassion is tied to mercy and justice. Look at Isaiah. Uh, I'll put them up on the screen. I've got a whole bunch of these. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 says, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel. Saying so you're religious, but you're not caring for the, the people who are who are oppressed. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? These people are good at fasting. They get it. I don't eat. That's cool. I'm doing this. I'm very religious. He says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, the poor wanderer, this is an immigrant, with shelter, When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Zechariah says, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And then maybe in one of the most well-known, Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Over and over and over, when you read through the Old Testament, what you find is that God, in contrary to all the other ancient Near Eastern gods, God stands on the side of the oppressed. God stands on the side of the marginalized. God stands on the side of those who cannot stand for themselves. Over and over and over, God stands for the immigrant. God stands for the widow. These are, these are folks, that, this is a woman that's just 
She's poor and kind of out of luck. God stands for the orphan. This is a kid that really has no chance. And God pleads their case. See, all over the ancient Near East, the gods were, on the, or were thought to be on the side of the powerful and the strong. In fact, the way you are wealthy, the way you are well off, the way you're a king, the way you're in charge, is that the gods have blessed you. Israel's God stands alone as one that says, I'm not on the side of these folks because, quite frankly, they don't need it. I stand for those who don't have a voice. That if we want to be a people who do compassionate ministry, that we stand on the side of the marginalized. But if I'm honest, since we're doing that today, I don't think I'm good at this. You click through the channels, right? You see the ones in the arms. Of the angel and the flies, what do you do? Do you get on and do something about it? Change that stuff as fast as you can. Right? There's something about, and again, I won't speak for you, there's something in my heart that's messed up, that's broken, that does not want to engage that suffering, but wants to pretend like it doesn't exist. And let's just hope Sarah McLaughlin will Fix it. I think she does that, right? That's what I tell, my, tell myself. A, sig- a significant aspect of biblical compassion involves the way that we care for the last, the least, and the lost. That we can do this week in and week out. I said this whenever we did the, the value of worship. We can worship in here and invalidate everything we do in worship in here by how we act out there. Guilty. I'll stand here and say I'm guilty. It's only the God of Israel that says, and, and, and unless we believe that this is just sort of an Old Testament thing, you ever think about the fact that Jesus was born in a feed trough? That he says stuff like, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That when he was crucified, he didn't really have anything. They cast lots for the last thing that he had. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. When God became man, he came as a poor man. God so identifies with those who don't have a voice the marginalized, that that's what Jesus came as. There's a a section of Scripture in Matthew 25, and I won't read it, but there's a sort of like the separating of the sheeps and the goats, right? Sheep is the plural of sheep. It's not sheeps. And there's this separation that happens. And they say, how do we separate these and if you remember in the story, it says, it says to the ones who are on his right, these are the ones that, that, that come, come into his kingdom. It says, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came, 
to visit me, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give, not, and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or in needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That God so identifies with those that have not we would be ill-advised to not do the same. I mean, quite honestly, and I, I recognize I'm about to ruffle some feathers, okay? Can you just give me some grace? We live in the richest country in the world. There are places in the world, I'll be careful about this, and you can email me later. There are places in the world where they live on such a small fraction of what we live on. The things that we say we need are luxuries. People who are running away, running away from evil government. Do you know in October, the United States took zero refugees? The richest country in the world. We're like so far beyond. Like it's, it's ridiculous, right? We took zero refugees in October. You know how many we're on pace to take in November? Zero. How can we who follow Jesus and read and live by this book, who say, yes, we follow Jesus who was homeless, say, no, we're not going to take you. It's sad to me. It's sad to me that we who follow Jesus would say, well, the, the political position that we're supposed to hold says that we don't like refugees. I recognize I'm out here on a limb. I can feel it like swaying a little bit. This is not a Christian position to hold. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, I'm going to stop right there lest I break the branch that I'm standing on recognize that we who follow Jesus should lead the way in caring for those who won't have a voice. There's just no other way about it. How do we do this now? How do we do this today? There's sort of two things at play here all the time, right? Mercy and justice are sort of two sides of the same coin, right? So mercy are the acts you do right now. You see a homeless guy on the corner, you buy him a meal. He eats for lunch. This is an act of mercy. An act of justice says, why is this guy homeless anyway? What's the systemic issue that causes this guy to be perpetually homeless? And how do we address that? God says we love justice and mercy and we walk humbly with God. That we who follow Jesus hold both sides of that coin together. And we say, yes, I'm going to feed you today but I'm also going to investigate why it is that you're homeless. Yes, I'm going to rescue you out of sex trafficking today, but we're also going to figure out the systems that cause that to continue to happen. This is what it is to be followers of Jesus. I had a conversation yesterday with a guy um, who says he's an atheist, and 
honestly, I was surprised that he actually sat down and talked to me. Um, we had this conversation, and he started out very kind of guarded, and he was like, like trying to preemptively like confront all of the apologetics that I would bring, right? Like here's all the, the reasons that I would say you should believe in God and here's the questions that I would ask. And I just said to him, I was like, listen, I just want to understand your heart and I just want to know your side. I don't, I'm not going to challenge those things. I'm not going to confront you. I'm not going to hit you in the head with the Bible. He was convinced I was going to drop a Bible in between us and begin. I was like, no, I want to understand your heart. After he settled down a little bit and we sort of got into where we could actually have, where I felt like we could actually have dialogue, I said, tell me, what, what are your guiding principles? Like, what, what, like, how do you, like, what are the things that you live your life based upon? He said, man, I don't think people should suffer. I was like, neither do I. He's like, I feel like we should have compassion on each other. So do I. You know, like we should take care of people. I'm like, yes! By the time we got done, I was like, dude, you and I have the same, like, you have, we have the same things that we're after. We come at these things from opposite ends of the spectrum. And yet he had decided that God is somebody he can't believe in because of his experience of people who follow Jesus. Would that our lives be the best apologetic? What if people who don't know Jesus go, I believe compassion should be a thing, and I'm going to follow that guy because it certainly looks like he understands it. What if my life could actually be one where people would go, you know what? I would believe in Jesus because he's doing what he does. I'm not there, honestly. I feel a little bit like a fraud. A lot of times. But I recognize that compassion is a value that we ought to live our lives into. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? It's like a heavy thing. Now here's what I want to do. I don't want us to get away from today without opportunity to pray. Because here's the deal. What I think happens is I think we talk about things like compassion and we go, what, what, what just happens? Everybody's like, man, I feel like crap. Man, I feel kind of like condemned and, and like shame and like, yeah, I certainly would walk past somebody too. I don't think that's from the Lord. I think what, what, what comes from the Lord is this, this nudge that's like, hey, what if we try it my way this time? Hey, what if, don't, you don't have to carry that. What if, we just, what if we just begin to try to see people? 